Right. You guys can be seated. Kids, you guys can head on back. Nehemiah chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Nehemiah chapter 6. And if you'll hang with me this morning, I think you guys will... Uh, I think there'll be a lot for us this morning that will encourage you and challenge you at the same time. I think God's got a lot to teach us. My sermon prep this week kind of took a few right and left turns, kind of led me to some places that I did not fully expect, but, uh, but it's good. I think God's got a lot for us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to jump right in, uh, and we're just going get, to get going on Nehemiah 6. And if, if you'll hang with me here, I really think you guys will begin to see some stuff open up pretty quickly. So Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the uh, the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together at at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono, but they intended to do me harm. So we're picking up our story right where we've left off, just working our way through the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is leading this crew uh, of, of uh, men, women, uh, perfumers, it said, uh, businessmen, uh, farmers. All these people have come together and they are rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. It's needed for both the security of the city, for the honor of the city, uh, for the recognition of the city, for what it is supposed to be. Nehemiah is leading this crew uh, as he is now the third person to bring back a wave of exiles back to the city. And they're trying to establish the city of Jerusalem to become what it was always meant to be, kind of this, uh, this beacon of the glory of God for the nations. And so he's trying to do all of this, and so far he has faced... Uh, opposition from every direction. And that opposition has come in all kinds of forms. They've tried every tactic that they can. They've mocked him. They've dismissed him. They've ridiculed him. They've planned attacks uh, on him. And in every turn, Nehemiah has proven to be stronger than them. He has been able to kind of dismiss and kind of push off the the mocking and the kind of deriding that they have done and said, I'm not going to listen to this kind of stuff. I don't need to hear it. Y'all got nothing on me. You have no say in who I am. So he's refused to listen on them. He's kind of snuffed out their plans when they had planned to attack, set up a a battle plan that if they'll uh, hold a spear in one hand and a brick in the other hand, then they'll be ready and prepared both to do the work of building the wall, but also to fight if fighting is needed. He's done all of that, and then he has turned all of that over to God, and he has said, God, You deal with this stuff. I don't have time to deal with it, and I trust you to deal with it better than I have. So that's that's kind of what brought us to this point here at the beginning of chapter 6. And again, Nehemiah sniffs out a problem. These guys realize that the city is getting built, that the walls are getting built, and they, they realize this is our last chance to stop this project. He's basically got the walls built We've got to do something about this. We can't do these kind of half-hearted attacks and uh, these letters that kind of undermine his work or anything. We've got to do something bigger. And so what they had planned was to basically invite him to a, uh, to a, a secret meeting kind of uh, halfway between where they, they were all at. It said, if you'll meet us here, and, and it's under the guise of like negotiation and saying, we'll work on this together, we'll sort this out together, and then once we get all this sorted out together, we'll all come to a meeting of the minds, that way we can all kind of exist 
co-equally in, in this area. But Nehemiah sniffs it out. He says, that's not what you guys are trying to do. You guys mean to do me harm. You guys are trying to hurt me. You guys are probably going to try to either kidnap me or kill me if I show up at that meeting. He knows that they've gotten more planned. He says, I don't think so. So let's look at Nehemiah's response now in chapter 3. They've sent the invite. Nehemiah sniffs out the the plan. And here's the response in verse 3, chapter 6, verse 3. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. So they keep coming after him. He's like, nah, I'm good. I don't think I'm going to meet with you guys. I don't think I need to meet with you guys. I'm perfectly all right with the work that I'm doing. You've given me no good reason to show up and meet with you guys. Because what I'm doing here right now is the most important thing for me to be doing. I know that you've got other things for me, you've got other agendas for me, but what I'm doing right here, right now in this place, this is where I need to be. I'm good. I'm not going to come down. And they keep coming after him. Five total times they keep coming after him. They won't take no for an answer, and he just will not stop. So this, this, this nation, or this, uh, this, this final letter shows up, and this letter is not just, uh, please Nehemiah, meet with him. Uh, from Sanballat, please Nehemiah, come meet with me. It says a little bit more. Here's what that final letter that came from Sanballat says in verse 6. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear these reports. So come and let us take counsel together. So basically what he says is, it is reported among the nations. Do you know how that gets translated today? People are saying. People are saying this about you, Nehemiah. People are saying these things about you, Nehemiah. What people? I don't know, this one guy, but I, just people are saying these different things about you, Nehemiah, and you need to be aware of that. Let me just tell you, if you have ever been among a group of people, especially if you've been in a position of leadership, but if you've ever been among a group of people, a school, church, work, any of these, you know that that is the worst. Anything that starts with people are saying, you should be suspect of. We should all resolve to never begin a sentence with people are saying. Because if you, are sa- if you say something like that, what that means is people are saying, and probably mainly I am saying, that I have an agenda for you, and I want to co-opt what it is that you are doing, and I want to take that over. People are saying means I am spreading a rumor, is usually what that means. And so what's happening is just that. They're spreading a rumor that Nehemiah, formerly the cupbearer to the king, is basically trying to start a rebellion to the king that he once served. They're trying to strike him in a place that he knows he would be vulnerable. Something that that would get his attention. Nehemiah would have none of that. 
He replies back to this letter. He says, then I sent to him, this is verse 8, saying, no such thing as you say, uh, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and, they will not be do- and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. So the attempted rumor mill and the attempted uh, distraction to kind of come after him in this weak spot had the opposite effect of what they had intended. Not only did it not bring Nehemiah down from the wall, it caused Nehemiah to kind of double down in his resolve to finish the wall. He would not bow to the pressure, to the rumors, to the fear-mongering, to all of the things that were pressing against him from his opponents. He has no time for their games, and he calls out their nonsense. Nehemiah's resolve is admirable. It is powerful. He has no time to suffer from these idiots and these opponents. He's got a job to do. And that's the verse that I kind of want to camp out on for the morning. We'll get through more of chapter 6, and then the last half of this book will actually go very fast, just a couple more weeks here. But um, we, we, we go back to verse 3, and this is what I want to, want to camp out on. It says, And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. That verse will shape the rest of what we talk about this morning. And it will shape the rest of what we've talk, we talk about because as humans, we have a problem. It's a problem as old as the first humans, as Adam and Eve. And it's a problem that we all know well. It's a problem that affects us all in different ways. It is created by a variety of factors. Some deal with this problem better than others, depending on our genetics, our physical bodies, our environments, the, the stuff in our life. I think the best way for me to illustrate this problem is to introduce you to one of the most beloved characters from any Disney movie in recent history. One of the few characters that everyone loves in Disney movies. I want to introduce you to Doug. We'll cut it off there, but what, so everybody loves Doug. Everybody loves to meet Doug. Everybody in the, in the movie likes Doug. Eventually the old man does. But everybody, everybody likes Doug. We like Doug. Why do we like Doug? For one, it's because he's a dog and not a cat, which means that he, it, it, it means that he loves you 
unconditionally he will love you, unlike a cat who will only care if you worship it. Um, But we also love Doug because we can relate to Doug. We understand what is going through that dog's head because that dog is easily distracted. He sees the squirrel, even if the squirrel's not there. He's looking for the squirrel at all times. The moment's obviously played to be funny in the clip, but it's partly funny because we know exactly what is happening to Doug in that moment. Now again, how much you are distracted is, is, is complicated by a variety uh, of factors, but we all know what it means to be distracted. Not only that, we all hold in our hands uh, effectively our own little squirrels with our phones that are connected to us. Our phones are quite literally built to build distraction in our lives. Social media and YouTube are built to keep us distracted for the maximum amount of time possible. And just to illustrate the point, as I was uh, typing out and, and working on my notes for my sermon last night, and I went to download that clip so that we could show it this morning, I spent at least another 30 minutes watching videos of dogs being distracted on YouTube. It's a it's a great black hole for you to fall into if you're going to pick black holes. Uh, it's, it's pretty funny, but my favorite video, I say it's my favorite video, maybe the one that intrigued me the most is, is this one. And it, it's from a channel, go, go ahead and play that, that next one there. It's from a channel, it's called, there it goes, it's called TV for Dogs. It's the name of the YouTube channel. This is nothing but a squirrel on a loop. That's all there is to it. It's just this squirrel right there. And I'm sure somebody thought this was a good idea. And maybe there are, uh, you've got to know your own dog. Maybe there's a dog or two that can just watch that and be like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, We showed showed this video earlier, and Chanda said, that's what you do when you want a new TV. You put that on, and you walk out of the house. Because when you come back, you're going to have a broken TV and a hole in the wall is probably what you're going to have as the the dog just sits there and watches the squirrel. There's all kinds of these type of videos. I don't know whose idea that is for those type of things, but apparently there's some dogs that that really captures their attention. But my point is made. You can turn that off because everybody's going to be distracted now. (laughs) My, My point is made. Distraction is the currency of our modern world. The more effective you are at distracting people, the richer you will be. It's wild to think that that is how our world operates, but that is 100% the truth. The better you are at distracting people, the better, the better your product will be sold and the more money you will make. We're told not to even fight it at this point. Just embrace this is the modern world. Make videos shorter. Sermons should not be over 15 to 20 minutes long. I'm going to break that, I promise you, today and every other time. Kids shouldn't be expected to read or do anything that requires any extended focus or thinking. But all of that is just simply a reflection of what our society has built, and it has created a massive problem for us. So the question then is, what do we do about it? I think Nehemiah lays out a pretty inspiring picture for us here. He sets forward the precedent uh, that what gets his attention is not the urgent, but the important. 
You see, the calls from all these other people could have been seen as urgent. Oh my goodness, they're spreading rumors. I've got to stop the rumors. Oh my goodness, they're going to attack. I've got to stop so that they don't attack. Oh my goodness, they want to negotiate. This could be good for us. I've got to stop what I'm doing. But what he says is, I'm not going to pay attention to what is most urgent, but what is most important. What gets his attention is the thing that has the most impact on the most people, not the thing that has the loudest whistle. He refuses to trade the immediate for the important, and he refuses to let his ego overrule his calling. These are all important for us as we consider this question. What is so important in our lives? What is so important in your life that you are wholeheartedly committed to it and you cannot be shaken from it? What is it that we refuse to let distractions derail us from? Now be careful because the temptation here is to give kind of the standard society accepted answer, Bible belt accepted answer, and you you lay out your priority list and you pretend that what you lay out is actually what your life reflects. You know the one that says, well, God is first, family is second, work is third, UT football is fourth, or whatever you want to put in there. Like, whatever that standard list is for you, that everybody says, oh yeah, that's how it should be. Good job. Well done. That can be really easy to throw that out there. But my question for you, is that actually what your life reflects? Is that actually what your life reflects? Reflects. I know this is what we want to say is true, but you know as well as I do that what has our attention is not always what deserves our devotion. Yet it's that attention that truly reveals what we are devoted to. We can say that we are devoted to God. We can say that we have given our heart over to Him and that He is our Lord. And those are good and right things to say. But if we can't manage uh, to, 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 to open the Bible between Sundays and understand His Word, if we can't manage to spend some time in prayer uh, to, 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 to listen to the, the, the leading of the Spirit, the groaning of the Spirit inside of us, then it is a right question to ask. Is your devotion and your attention given to the right things? We can say that we love our spouse, but if we can't manage a decent conversation and a few acts of love based on their own kind of love language and how they receive love, then it's fair to ask, how important is that to us? Far too often, we, 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 don't, we don't go up on the wall that we have been called to but instead we build our little sandcastles that will be torn down as soon as the tide comes in. And we spend all of our affection, all of our attention, all of our, uh, our mental effort, all of it is focused on this thing that's going to be torn down. And God is saying, what needs to matter are the things that are the most important, not the things that are just right in front. I also know the other temptation here to say, you're right, pastor. I have been distracted. I am Doug the Christian. That is me, and I am distracted by every squirrel that runs by, and I need to get my act together. Here's my new 14-point checklist of the things that are going to be the most important to me. 
I've got Bible study, I've got prayer time, I've got uh, this thing at the church, and then I've got this thing that I'm going to do uh, with a friend, but we're going to pray together whenever we get together, and then I've also got this thing that I need to work on with my health, and then, uh, oh yeah, I've got my family stuff, and you start creating this, this massive list, and you get this you know, 14, 15, 35 point checklist, and we pretend that we're going to be fully devoted to all of those things, and that lasts for about 30 seconds. If you're really good, it might last for like a day. And then it kind of goes away. You know as well as I do that massive checklist that says all of these things are going to be the most important thing is nothing but a recipe for, for failure. If everything becomes important, then nothing's important. So I'll ask it again. What gets your attention and what gets your devotion? We're exactly two months, two months to the day, two months away from the start of the 2020 Olympic Games in 2021. I don't know hardly anyone that's competing in these Olympic Games. No, know a couple of people, a couple of the people that we've seen on some of the others, but here's what I do know. At some point, every athlete that's competing in those games picked their wall, and they said, I'm not coming down until I've done what I set out to do. And then they got thrown this thing that said, and you can't do it for an extra 12 months. So this training that you've been building to, to this one moment that you have quite literally built your entire life around, hang on, you got 12 more months, you got to keep on running. It's like running a marathon at 26.2. They're like, hey, keep going, you got to get to 36.2. It's like, oh man. But they've kept doing it. They're still pursuing it. They don't care about work-life balance. They don't, they don't care about their opponents or their, or, or their naysayers. They are doing their great work for now, and they will not come down. I'll remind you this morning of what I try to remind you guys of every so often. Do not try to be balanced people. A balanced life, I am convinced more than ever is a lie from the devil we are not called to be balanced people ever you should be highly unbalanced you just have to choose very very carefully what it is that you commit to you have to choose very very carefully what it is that you give your life over to we celebrate these athletes at the Olympics because we can say those people had a commitment and a devotion that I cannot match in my life, or at least to this point I have not matched in my life. They gave up more to achieve that sixth place finish than I've ever given up for anything. And I think that's good and it's right for us to cheer for that. The mistake is whenever we celebrate that as though that is the ultimate and the best choice to make. So when you all watch the Olympics here in a couple months, and I hope you will, I know I will, when you, I'll probably be watching like handball at four o'clock in the afternoon because I watch all of it. I think that it's all great. But when you watch this stuff, like be challenged by what you see there. But also know that even if they win a gold medal, that gold medal, it'll be tarnished. It won't be the same. It will forever be the mark that they did what they did but it will not last forever.
choose what you commit to and choose it wisely. I do not believe that God has called the, the congregation, the people, you guys of Providence Church, to be balanced people. He wants you to be sold out to him and to what he has called you to, whatever that is. And I think that looks different for all of us in here. But he wants you sold out. So what does that look like? What does that mean for us to do that? I want to give you two examples uh, from, from our life, from mine and from Emily's. And, but this is primarily about, about her and, and some moments that she's had uh, along the way. Um, ones that she, she, she chose and, and others that, that she did not. The times when she had to say, this is my work and I will not come down. And I also want to say, I'm going to say this up front, I'm going to say this a couple of times. I am not saying we did this right, so mirror us. I am not celebrating uh, Emily and I and saying, look at how great we are. That is not what I am saying. I'm simply telling you this is the rubric that we, we tried to pass these things through in our life. You've got to make your own choice of what God is calling you to. This past week, we saw our fifth grader and our eighth grader finish their respective elementary school and middle school education. I'm doing all right. Mama's not doing quite as well. There's been a tear or two. Um, it's been the end of a chapter for us in many different ways and very representative of the wall that we have been working on together. Emily and I are middle school sweethearts, and as long as we have been together, she has always talked about the career that she would have whenever we got married. We got married at 19, went to college, made some strategic choices to make that happen. She worked hard through school, double majored, graduated, and got a launch on her career. We moved to Louisville. I went to seminary. She got a job at an ad agency doing uh, writing and marketing. And I set out to do, like I said, my studies there in seminary. For us, Starting a family is something that we, we, we wanted to pursue, but we wanted to wait until I got through with school, so the timing wasn't really the plan for us to do that uh, immediately. But as time grew closer and as my studies kind of came to an end, the question became, what in the world would that look like for us to have a family? If the given was she was going to have a career, I was going to have a career, what in the world would this look like for us to have a family. To make a long story short, a very long story, way shorter than it needs to be, uh, we had to work through that together. And I'd be happy to talk to you guys about what that looked like for us. But we had to figure it out. And once Emily became pregnant in my final year of seminary, we had to make a very hard choice. She made the decision that she needed to be at home with our kids while they were young. This is not a choice that I forced. This is not a choice that anyone forced. This was happening in conversation together, but totally her call to make. It just became clear to her that that's what she felt like God had called her to do and what, what God had called us to do, for her to be home at that time. Financially, it made no sense. I was making well under $35,000 a year at the time, uh, but we decided this is what we needed to do. Emily managed to work some freelance to pick up an odd job as a writer here or there, but her focus was at home. Then Isaiah came around. We continued the same thing. We began planting this church here at Providence. 
We tried moving at the bottom of the housing market in 2011, which was a total nightmare. We had to make a rent and a mortgage payment at the same time while we lived here and tried to sell our house in Knoxville. Emily picked up more freelance work and would work during nap times and at night and on the weekends. Often we'd get a check in from one of the freelance jobs the same day or maybe just the day before another big bill was due. I could tell you story after story after story of this happening. But she knew that for that moment, this is where God had her. As the kids started school, Emily increased her freelance work, eventually working up to a full, basically full-time hours doing contract work. And we felt the freedom to do that as our season in life changed. And now fast forward several years to where we are right now. And in the past month, uh, as I said, many different chapters have changed for us in the past month. Uh, But the kids had gotten older and now Emily has gone back to work. She's taken a full-time position at Appalachian uh, Electric and, and resumed a career that had largely been put on pause in those early years. She was at an ad agency full-time, and now your standard eight-to-five job at Appalachian Electric. And don't misunderstand me. She's still up on that wall for our kids. It just looks very different for us now in these days. And those early days were hard because there were many, many, many things that could have taken her down from that wall, that wall that she chose to say, this is the good work I am doing, and I will not come down. There were many temptations to say, I want this career back that I had begun, that I had always dreamed of, but she said, no, I will not be distracted by that either. This is the wall that I have been called to stay up on, and I will not come down. Her choice fully hers to make. And it was her calling for that season to be at home as much as she could be. And she was doing a great work. Some of you parents need to hear me this morning. This is a season that you guys are in. We have so many young kids at this church. We have so many children that are here, and that is beautiful. But I also talk to so many of you parents, but especially you moms, that, that, that kind of get in this place where it's like, well, I want to do all these things, but I have these kids at home and my time, and, and you, you kind of heap this guilt on yourself saying, I can't do all of these things, and you can't. It's a season. So pick your wall. And go up that wall and get to work and get after it. It's a season. Both the blessing and the heart, heartbreak that comes with that, it is a season. Don't let parenting young ones make you impatient to chase down something that God may be saying, not, not now. He might just be saying, not yet. Whether it's a career or, or something different. No for now doesn't mean no forever. Some of you just need to kind of take consolation in that and quit beating yourself up so much. Moms, dads, you guys are doing a great work. And don't ever forget that. Don't somehow convince yourself that what you're doing is not as great as somebody who may be out doing something else. 
you're doing a great work. Rejoice in the calling you have. And I'll say it one more time just to make it clear for those of you that didn't hear me. I'm not primarily talking about whether you stay at home or whether you have a career and go to work. That is a very personal choice for every family to make. That is not my point. My point is that you have to sort this out for your family and at every turn stay committed to what God calls you to. The second wall for us that was not of our own choice, two years ago when Emily's health challenges kind of reared their head again, many of you guys walked with us through that season, we were in a bad spot. For those of you who don't know, she has ulcerative colitis. It had flared. The remission was over, uh, and she was on, uh, this was around two or three or four just kind of uh, of colitis, and, and this time it was really bad. Stood up here and told you guys she was days away from probably losing her colon. Uh, terrible care from our doctors at UT. Massive medical bills piling up. Uh, Emily was placed on a medication, a steroid, that made her physically better for her colon, but made everything mentally and physically worse. It was a hard year for us. Desperately hard year in almost every way. It was full of intense health trauma that that frankly took all that we both had to make it to the end of the day. We started taking trips to Vanderbilt to see the doctors there. It took strategies and, and, and very careful planning to battle against anxiety, to change diets, to, uh, to, to, to figure out new medications, taking tests, and a thousand other things that were a part of our daily life that we had to deal, to deal with. Emily would often, and she's not here this morning, she wanted to be here, but Isaiah's not feeling well, so she's not here, but she would often break down in tears at the things that we could not do together, the trips we could not take, the days we could not spend at Dollywood or some other place having fun, the money that was lost to medical bills, the relationships, some of her friendships with you guys in here that were unavoidably strained by the moment. But during that year, what became clear to us is that if Emily was going to get through that year, she had a work to do, and she could not come down. She did not want to be on that wall. She did not choose that wall. But that's what she had to do, and it became everything for us. So many of you guys didn't see her here for a long, long time. She simply did not have the strength or the ability. We didn't go out. We didn't eat much variety. We didn't do anything. We just made it to tomorrow and tried to get a little bit healthier when we could. That was our great work for that season. I can't thank you guys enough for your prayers and for your generosity during that time to be there just like Nehemiah had on that wall with us helping us build that wall. It took every ounce of what you guys gave and every ounce of what we could to get her back to where she is today, feeling much better, still struggling and dealing with things, but getting much, much better and able to even now take a job where she can work outside of the house. Sometimes your great work is what it has to be. It is just what you have been given and that is where your work has to be. It's not what you want it to be. When that happens, it's okay. You don't need to feel the weight of what you're not doing. 
And I think this is one of the chief ways that Satan will get after us. God will call us to a great work. He will call us to do something that we desperately need to commit everything that we have to it. And then when we get up that wall, we can see from the top of that wall, oh man, I see that field over there. That's getting a little bit neglected. And I see this over here and man, that's not how I wanted it to be. And oh, this probably shouldn't be working the way that it's working. And I got to go make this better because you can see from that vantage point, all the other things that aren't working exactly how they're supposed to work. And I just want to tell you, there's probably a season for you to address all those things. But you've got to decide what's going to be the most important thing for you. Are you going to pursue what you've been called to in that moment, or are you going to try to fix everything else? I think Nehemiah's example is a good one for us. Pick your wall well. And when you get up there, you fiercely fight to finish that project. What have you been called to? What is your great work? What is the wall for you? Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, we see the end result of Nehemiah's hard work. He says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul. In 52 days, they built this wall. And when all our enemies had heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So at the end of all of this, who gets the glory for the completed work? It's God. It's God who gets the glory. I want to be very careful. I do not tell stories of our family lightly up here. Usually when I tell stories of our family, I'm mocking something about us. And there's plenty to be mocked. But I tell this story because what Emily has done over these years and what she has been forced to do with her health, it just required everything that we had. And we just wanted to be committed and be faithful to what he's called us to. That's all we've ever wanted to do. And that's still where we are today. And at the end of the day, all we want is for God to get the glory for that. That's all Nehemiah wanted too. If you go back to chapter 1, remember what it is that he said. I've got to go back there. The city being in ruins is, is bad for the name of God. I've got to fix this. God lead me as we go. And you know what's crazy? We've been, we've been talking about exile and the return of God's people from exile. We've talked about Zerubbabel and the temple. We've talked about Ezra and, the, and, and his wave of, of exiles that came back. We've talked about Nehemiah and this third wave of exiles that came back. We've talked about political reforms. We've talked about religious reforms. We've talked about enemies. But as Nehemiah stands at the base of this wall, this wall now complete, do you know what we have not once, not one time have we talked about in any of this? Is miracles. There's no miracles in the book of Ezra or Nehemiah. Now there's God's sovereign hand working all the time, all over the place. But there's no, like they didn't just wake up and, oh man, look, the wall is there. Where did that come from? That wall got built one way. Hard work. 
a bunch of people got after it and built the wall. Now, God protected them. God ordained things to happen so that it could be done. All of these things, but it was accomplished by hard work. Friends, I need you to hear me this morning. By far, the most common way that God works in this world is through simple, hard work. We sing songs about God being a God of miracles, and that is good, and that is right that we should do that. God gave us examples and pictures of those miracles in Scripture for a reason. But make no mistake, God is in the work, but it is hard work that does it. God is in the brick laying and the strategic planning. God is in the hammer swinging and the personal counseling. God is in the hastily prepared dinner and the unending laundry. God is in the educational pursuit and the new discovery that is made. God is in the factory time clock and the teacher's lesson planning. God is in the ordinary, boring, unrelenting work of life. Your task is to stay on task and see what God can do if you just keep going to work. Now, you, you want to make sure that you don't become Martha. I'm not talking about, you know, between Martha and Mary and, and being totally distracted and so distracted that you don't sit at the foot of Jesus. I'm not talking about busyness. I'm just talking about hard work. An element of our lives that is nothing short of worship. It is as much worship as what we do when we stand up here and we sing these songs or when you sit there and listen to the Word of God. It may not be exciting. In fact, I'll almost guarantee you most of it won't be. Most of the daily ins and outs of work are just not exciting. But it will be good. And when that happens, the most important thing that will follow is God will be glorified. So where do we go from here? I've got a whole list of examples that I could throw out here, a lot of things that we could talk about. I, I spent a long time thinking about these things, but I'm not going to read off any of them. I, it just feels like, especially on this day, when we're celebrating Pentecost, that we just let the Holy Spirit go to work in your life here. Don't let the pastor throw out your application points here. You do the work with the Spirit and say, Spirit, lead me and show me what wall I need to be on and give me the resolve to stay up there and say, I will not come down. So what is that for you? What's the wall? What's the work? What's the wall? What's the work for now in this season where you are today? Not what do you want to do with your life 10 years from now. What do you want to do with your life this week, this month? this year? What's the good work? As we close here, I think it would be insufficient for me to stand up here and deliver this solid self-help message without reflecting just a little bit further. Nehemiah is a model of this very determined, focused life, but it is Jesus that we look to for our hope. And any time that we hold up a model from the Old Testament to say, be like this man, here's what I'm going to tell you. You are going to fail at being like this man. You cannot do that on your own. It is Jesus that we look to for our hope. You see, we always say things like, Jesus came to save sinners. And we should say that. But when we say that, we should remember how he did that. 
I'm going to read just real quick this little passage from Luke. Jesus was teaching his disciples, and he says, Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And, the, and they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God, the Messiah. And he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one. Does that mess with your categories? It does mine. I thought we were supposed to tell everybody about Jesus. Jesus says, don't tell anybody about me. And he says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. Jesus tells Peter, don't tell anybody because I'm here for a purpose. I'm here for a reason, and I have to see that task through to completion. I need to teach you guys more. I need to do more miracles. I need to explain more about who I am and the spirit that will come. I've got to do all those things. It's not my time to die yet. I'll get there, though. The Son of Man must suffer many things. But just give me a little more time. So don't tell anybody yet. But he knew he was headed to that cross. He knew he was headed to the cross. And his life was built, headed down that road every step. And he knew it. He was mocked for it. He was derided by the Pharisees for it. He was scorned by Pilate. He was betrayed by his own disciples. He was deserted by his own disciples. He was homeless. He was dismissed by the rabbis. He had traps laid for him. None of that mattered because he had a great work to do. And he would not be distracted from that great work. Friends, whatever God has called you to do, it is to his glory when you work with all your strength to see it through to its finish. And some of you guys just need to see your work through to its finish. But friends, I also know that we are too much like Doug. We have our squirrels all around us, and we will chase them all the time, easily distracted and desperately in need of grace to see our calling through to its end desperately in need of grace for when we make the wrong choices and pursue the lesser to the detriment of the greater. When we exchange the glory of God for crumbling distractions of the world, the truth of God for a lie. And as much as I want to stand up here as a pastor and say, you got it, you can do this, and we have like a big pep rally and I send you out high-fiving on the way out the door and everybody's fired up and ready to go until you get in the car and you yell at your kids again. Like, I would love to be able to get y'all super fired up for that. I would love to. I would never have planted a church if I didn't believe that going up the wall was the right work to be done. But I know that you're going to need grace. I know that you're going to need the blood of Jesus to tell you that he's here. I'm here, and, and Jesus tells us, I'm here for you, and I've done what you could not do. I have finished the race. I have completed the task. And in all the ways that are the most important, it is finished. Friends, this is the gospel, and it is from that truth the finished and completed work of Jesus that we climb our walls 
and we get to work. We say, this is the great work we've been called to. And we cannot come down. So pick your walls this morning. Have a conversation with your spouse this afternoon. Say, what walls do we need to pick? What distractions do we need to eliminate? And let's trust Jesus to get us to the end. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you that it is not solely upon us to get to the end in order to redeem and to make things whole, but that you have already done that. Help us to trust in that. Father, I thank you for this community of believers that have joined with us here at Providence to say, I want to come and I want to help build that wall with you. And have partnered with us in gospel ministry So we're not coming down until the work is done. Father, give us endurance to keep laboring on your behalf to the glory of your name. And Father, give us grace when we fail. Father, I pray for a community of believers that can come together and that can talk about these things. That we're not left to just kind of ponder these things on our own but we can go to our discipleship groups and we can go to our front porch communities and we can just go have lunch with others and we can say, man, I'm not sure what this wall is. I'm not sure what my distractions are or say, I know exactly what my distractions are and I've brought them into my life and I need help to eliminate them. Will you help me with this? Whether that be a spouse, a friend, Give us the wisdom to know what it is you have called us to. The wisdom to know the distractions that keep us from you. The grace when we fail. And the endurance to just get to work. Father, I pray for some in here that just need to start the good work. That this morning will be something of a marking in their life where they have decided I've got work to do and I've got to quit wasting my life. I pray for those in here that are so distracted by this world that you would draw us back to the things that matter and that we would choose our walls well. Father, I pray for those that need to finish a task this morning that for whatever reason can't seem to get to the finish line or don't want to see the finish line. Give them the courage and the, the strength to cross that finish line and find the next wall. Father, help us to leave with redefined priorities and to the glory of your name. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.